All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Dropping the Gloves with Tim and John. Tim's got his fun Hawaiian hat on today. You know, it's a good day when Tim throws that hat on. What's what's the what's the occasion, Tim, to wear the fun Hawaiian hat today? You going out? No, I just was digging through the closet. Realized I haven't worn this one in a while, so I knew I was seeing you today. I thought I'd just bring a little joy. I used to have when I was when I well, gosh, not even when I was younger, like in college, like a row of like 30 hats and I would just, and you would only really wear two of them, but I would just have a bunch of hats and I still do to this day. I have a bunch of hats, but you wear, you wear two. Do you have like just a bunch and you just rotate them? Cause you always have a different hat on. I have probably a dozen hats and I wear like four or five pretty consistently. This one's not really heavy in the rotation. I do what I do and not, not that anybody cares. I do it with my shoes. I do it with my hats. I do it with everything. I wear it and I wear the junk out of it. And then I wear it until it's got sweat stains on it. It's been through the ringer and then I just throw it out and then I just get a brand new one. And then I just lather, rinse and repeat for everything, shoes, hats. So you'll see me wearing the same thing every single day. And that's, that's how it works. I don't have a bunch of pairs of shoes. I have three Three pairs of shoes, one for church, one for recreation, and then a pair of pair of like sandals. That's it. You know nice. what I mean? Mowing the lawn, wear the same pair of shoes I wear when I go to dinner. And then I just throw them out and get a new pair. If you had to wear like dress, like dress shirt to work every day, would you just have five, five shirts, wear one each day? I did when I played in the NHL. Guys would buy suits, guys would buy dress shirts and pants and shoes and this and that. I had three suits and I would just rotate. I had a gray suit, I had a blue suit, and then I had another shade of blue that was a little more form-fitting. That's all I had. The gray suit was a gift from the Blackhawks. The blue suit was a was a gift from some other person. And then my other blue suit was one I bought uh, when I first entered the league. And that was it. I had three suits. Then I had an ugly brown one that my mom bought for me, but I didn't want to, I didn't wear that because that fit like a paper bag. It didn't, didn't fit very well. So I didn't wear that one often, but yeah, just the three. And then I had about uh, six shirts and I bought a bunch of them right when I made the NHL for Marty Mathis in Minneapolis. 
Marty Mather, Marty Mathis Clothier. So I had a lot of shirts, but that was it. Yeah. So fun stuff. Speaking of, of being cheap, you talked about like speaking you know, of being cheap. All all the guys going out to like big steak dinners or whatever, like every single night. And you, you and Bickle would be like a hamburger place playing roots with friends, right? At the bar, yeah. drinking Bud Lights. So yeah. When obviously you did sometimes go to the nicer places, when would you say yes to that? Well, would you have like an expectation to like, if I say yes, like Sharpie's going to buy tonight. So I'll, I'll go with them. Like, how do you know? Well, I think this is well documented with me. And then I just think it's a personality thing. I, don't like to be in bigger groups per se. So I like to go my own way and just kind of, and yeah, I like to hang out and, you know, chum it up sometimes, but every single night going out to a restaurant with a group of seven, 10 guys, it's It's a lot. It's a lot for me. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't purposely go out with, and I wasn't invited all the time. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like I, that was because of the way hockey teams work. There are clicks, there are groups. Guys have been on the team longer, so they obviously have a better relationship together. I was always a new guy on the team. I never stayed with an NHL team longer than two years. So when I would go, they would have the relationships already set in place. When I went to Chicago, those guys had been there. They'd won a Stanley Cup. Their best friends, their wives are friends, their kids are friends. Everybody's good. So I, I wouldn't get the invite every time, but. If I did get an invite, sometimes I would say no. Sometimes I would say yes. If I did say yes, there was no expectation that they would pick up the bill, but it was always encouraged. I, 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 I would never say no. If someone like, I'll pick up the tab, I'd be like, I'll throw in if you want me to. But, you know, it, it is what it is. They make a gazillion dollars, and if they want to pick up the tab, good. But, you know, I, me and Bix, we had an unwritten rule. We we're like, we're going to... Hit the hit the bus off the private par- charter jet. We're gonna hit the room. We're gonna get acclimated. Then we're going at the dinner at the at the nearest chain restaurant, whatever that is. Whether it's you know a, a Chili's, whether it's something, but it, no, maybe not a not a Chili's, not a Chili's, a step up from a chain. You know what I mean? So it, it's not the high end restaurant, but it's not it's not a Chili's somewhere in the middle. So, you know, if, if we're in Florida, we go to like a Shula's, it's a decent steak place, but it's not, you're not going to Mastro's or something like that. That's like, you know, when you go on Yelp and they show the dollar bill signs, it's not a four, but it's not a one. So we, we try to shoot for the two range that that's what we usually shoot for. And then if I really didn't want to do it, I just stay in the room and I'd order a pizza. And that happened a lot too. So when you, when you got your own rooms, when, once the new CBA hit, I think it was 2000 and gosh, 2014 or something, 2012, the CBA, you got your own rooms. Then I didn't do a thing. I would just hit the room, hit the bed, turn the TV on room service, take care of comb your hair. I would never go out because by that time I had kids, I was married. Like it's just, it's troubled him because you know, you have a couple, I'm not playing tomorrow. Like, let's go, let's fire it up. And I just see why bother put myself in that situation too often. So, yeah, but I wasn't cheap. I was smart, economical. Why, why would I go out and burn my whole per diem plus $500 on a trip when I didn't have to, it was always great coming back from like a week long road trip. When you just throw the per diem on the table, be like, there you go. There you go. There's $1,200. 
they have that that's your money for the week go for it and it was funny when i played cash was always around you know what i mean now we live in a cashless society i don't know how you deal i never have cash in my wallet i never have cash anywhere but when i played i would have envelopes full of cash because you'd go on a trip and you would step onto the plane or onto the bus and you would have your team pr guy he would i tell you what if you're a thief find that guy who is that pr guy for the team who handles the per diem he carries it and make sure the team's going on a long road trip and this is this is what you should do if you're a criminal find that guy they go to the bank they get probably 30 envelopes full of cash because all the trainers get per diem all the coaches get per diem all the players 30 guys and if it's a long road trip like a week a week and a half there must be they probably have $35,000 in cash, unmarked bills in envelopes. And they're the biggest pigeons I've ever seen. You go, you say, give me your, give me your bag. And you're walking out of a 35 grand boom out the door. So anyways, going back to having cash at the end of the season, you go on road trips all the time, especially when you play in a Western conference team, you go on these huge road trips out East, up North, down South, like you're doing week, week and a half long road trips. When I played in San Jose, Arizona, all these cities at the end of the year, I would have 10, $15,000 of cash envelopes just sitting around and it was just bonus money. It was so great. And I used that cash well past my retirement it was funny i finally ran through it all just like last year we finally just babysitters going out to dinner you know this using money and cat when you whenever you need cash because you don't need cash anymore so anyways i don't know i don't know how we got there but flower hats so yeah what are we talking about today Tim? <laughs> sounds nice um i've been putting this conversation off but you sent me an article that prompted a little bit more thinking so i think we need to talk a little bit about the bruins and there are probably people that think I talk about the Bruins too much. I haven't, I barely touched on them all summer, but you shared an article where Joe Haggerty, uh, Hacks with Hags, is one of the, the Bruins beat guys. He's on the inside. What did you call him? Hacks with Hag. That was like the name of his old column. Um, okay. And so he tweeted out a report that Pasternak is not comfortable signing with the Bruins until basically he sees how the season goes, or at least how it starts. And this is sort of what we touched on last week, where you've got a lot of question marks around in the team. You've got a lot of older players, expiring contracts. You don't know what the future is going to look like. And so a player like Pasternak, who's I think 26, 27, 26. Who, yeah. Um, who is going to be have, you know, he's got an expiring contract after the season. He's going to be making double digits. He's going to be looking to like secure his future for the next seven, eight, nine years, whatever. And he wants to know that the team that he hitches his wagon to is going to be a winning franchise, someone where you have the chance to win a cup or multiple cups. And we don't know if that's the Bruins. So I wanted to start there and kind of see what, what your take is on all that. Well, that's it. I have a few questions and, and a few avenues we can talk about as a star player. That's harder to do. It is harder as a guy making that amount of money because his next contract should be $10 million plus. Am I wrong? That that's that's the ballpark he's looking in. So as a guy making that amount of money, it's impossible unless you stay in your own city to go, okay, I'm going to a Stanley Cup contender. You can't do it. Those those teams already have their guys. So what does he do? And this is a tough situation. And I 
listen, I'm an old fuddy-duddy. I'm turning 40 years old this year, which is wild in a couple of weeks. The younger generation, Tim, you can kind of relate to them. What, what do you value more? Do you value loyalty, kind of continuity, building a legacy? Just something where when you look back, if you're David Posternock and you go, okay, I entered the league. I got drafted by this team in 2014. They, they took a, not a flyer, but he was, you know, first round number 25 overall. They invested in me and I stayed there for 20 years. My number's going up in the rafters. Does he think about that now when it's almost 10 years later? Or does he go, I want to get paid. I want to go somewhere. I'm going to be happy and win. What goes through his mind right now? Because this is a huge decision. He will sign a contract right now, this year, once this year's done. That'll take him to the end of his career because he's going to sign an eight-year deal. If it's with Boston, he'll sign a seven-year deal with somebody else. That's it. And then he's going to be 34, and that's it. He's not going to get a long-term deal after that. So this is his last big contract that he will sign. What's going through his mind, do you think? Because he's 26. Does he go for the legacy? Does he go for the numbers in the rafters? Does he go for just that type of, you know, Patrice Bergeron? Does he want to be that type of player? Or does he want to just go and chase the money and try to find a cup somewhere else and just be a Kevin Durant and go, I'm going to, I'm going to go and try to find hitch my cart to someone else because, and then we'll talk about afterwards. Okay. Can you really be a $10 million player and go to a Stanley cup contender? Cause I don't think you can. So I answer the first question. What, what does he do? What, what do young kids want to do these days? Uh, that's a good question. And, you know, I'm 31, 32 in a few weeks too. Like, I don't know how, if I can have the answer to that. Do we have the same birthday? Mine's in October. So it's um, not a few weeks. Don't lie. Four weeks. Okay. Okay. Four. That's not a few. Mine's literally in a few. So anyways. Uh, okay. You win, John. Um, for Pasternak, I don't think he, I don't think he's somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's going to be Patrice Bergeron in the sense that he's going to play his entire career here. Jersey and the rafters, like going down in the history books. I don't think he's Kevin Durant either. And I don't think the, the hockey uh, economy is going to kind of align himself with that because like you said, he's going to want seven, eight years, wherever he goes. And that's going to take him to 34, 35. And, and that's it. So it's not like he's going to be bouncing around every, every year or two years to a team and asking for trades and wanting to move where whoever has the biggest chance to win. It's probably somewhere in the middle. I think, like you said, who has the cap room, who's going to be a contender, not necessarily this year only, but over the length of that contract where he has the chance to win the most cups or compete for the most cups. That's another conversation for him. I think I don't see him being like a legacy guy. I, I am not as high on David Pasternak as some other players are nothing to do with his talent. He's an all world talent, all world goal scorer. I just something about, Something about when he talks, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like he's going to be the kind of franchise player. It doesn't seem like he has that, like he wants to be that type of player. I think he wants to be like a a complimentary first-line goal-scoring winger who doesn't necessarily want the attention or like that that sort of legacy um that said he is outspoken very how much he wants to cup there's an interview um earlier this summer he did with a czech republic reporter or some country and and he there was exactly forget exactly how it was worded but he basically said um he was really upset that he hadn't won any cups yet and something to do with the translation from czech to english People, it went kind of off in a different direction and it got sort of misinterpreted where it it made it sound like at first that he was upset 
with the Bruin that they hadn't won yet, but more the more accurate translation was he was just really sad that he doesn't have any rings yet. And so I think that's what he's chasing and whether or not he sees it in Boston is the question. And that's the, and that's the issue here. So let's just play. Okay. He won't go to Boston. He wants to go chase a cup. He makes up his mind this season. The Bruins aren't winning. He looks at their roster. He looks at the prospects pool. It's not great. And, and I totally see that happening and him kicking this down the line. I think this is just giving him an out at the end of the season saying, you know what? I don't, I don't see it working out here because if he wanted to stay in Boston, he would have signed already. This is just him kicking the can down the line, not having to deal with it during the season. He's like, okay, we'll see how it goes. He's not staying in Boston. That's what I think. There's no way when well, there is a way I'm not going to say that the way the Bruins are, are made up right now. They're a good team. They're a very good team. They will make the playoffs in, in my opinion, but they're not better than Florida, Toronto, or Tampa Bay in their division. So I, I think it'll be a carbon copy of last year. They make the playoffs. They get bounced. See you later. And then Pasternak enters free agency. Or they trade him at the deadline. That'll be an interesting situation. If, if he becomes available at the deadline, that's a whole other ball of wax. I don't want to dig into that. When he becomes a free agent, he wants to join a Stanley Cup contender. Who do you join? What team right now can you look at their roster? Can you look at their salary cap situation and say, oh, that's it. They're going to be a winner. You have to have some kind of crystal ball if you're David Posternock to say, okay, I need to join a team that will be a Stanley Cup contender in three years, four years, because if I sign with a team right now who has enough salary cap room to fit me under their cap, they're not contenders. The only teams right now that can afford him, Coyotes, Sabres, Ducks, Red Wings, Blackhawks, Senators maybe, there, there aren't a lot of Stanley Cup contenders who can go, oh yeah, David, come, we got you. Let's go. We'll take your $10 million salary and you'll just jump right in. Tampa Bay, Edmonton, those teams, the, the Panthers, the, the Leafs, hey, there's no room. So it's harder for a guy in his prime entering free agency, which doesn't happen that often. This will be very rare for a guy who's turning 27, who's just a perennial 40 goal scorer, who is an unrestricted free agent. This is a, this is a rare circumstance that he finds himself in. Usually these guys, they sign their bridge deal to get them to 25. They're still a restricted free agent and they sign another seven, eight year term. Posternock has played this perfectly with the Bruins. He is entering free agency at his prime. He's already made a boatload of money and he's going to have the pick of the litter for teams. But I, I think if he's hoping to just jump into a Stanley cup contender situation, he's got another thing coming. He, he is really going to have to do his research and look into the teams and his agent, whatever, whoever he's, you know, represented by, they're going to have to guess a little bit unless a team just gets right out there and, and trades for him in the, at the deadline, the, the, a team like the Leafs and says, we'll give you Marner for Pasternak or Nylander for Pasternak. And then he re-ups with that team and they just go one for one with the salaries. But I don't, do you think there is a team out there that is a Stanley cup contender in the next three, four years in that window from now until four years from now that can afford to take on a Pasternak? I was thinking maybe the New York Rangers, but again, it's not all rosy there because they they have some guys 
who are going to want to get paid. A Keandre Miller is going to want to get paid. A Chittle's going to want to get paid even more. They're all restricted free agents. You have to answer the Capo Caco question. Do you want to keep him? He's going to be a restricted free agent in a few years. Alex Safrenia is going to need a new contract. So is there a team that you can see him being a good fit for that he can just add that big contract to their salary cap and their Stanley cup contender next year? Well, okay. I have three points I want to make. The first okay. you're look, we're both looking at cap friendly. And if you're listening and following along, trying to play, you know, armchair GM, one of the things like we're in September, the season hasn't started yet. It's hard to get a sense of exactly how much cap space the different teams have just because the rules are a little bit different in the off season. Some guys are going to be on LTIR that aren't yet and vice versa. It's hard to get a real number of, of, of the lay of the land here. Um, but second one is like, there are a couple of young, exciting, up and coming teams that I think will be cup contenders within the next six, seven years. Um, we talked a lot about Ottawa in the last couple of weeks. I think Detroit is trending up. A lot of excitement around Anaheim. Does Pasternak feel the same way? Or is he thinking like, I don't want to be the 31, 32 year old, hoping that this group of the next five years elevates itself to that level? It's a big risk to take. We don't know what they have to prove yet. But the final thing I would say to that is like, we talked about, I forget who it was that we spoke about. It might have been JT Miller, but like when a player of that caliber is available, you make it work. If you're the jam of a team that's got, it's got to move a player or two in order to get that Apostanak level caliber player, you make it work. So if you're the Rangers, maybe you trade a Kreider and a Capococco to, to get room to make room for Apostanak and lock him up long term. If you're Washington, you feel like you've got, you, your window is still going as long as the can still a 50 goal scorer. Maybe you go and you move some players around to bring in knock in. So I think, I think the, the realistically, not a lot of teams can fit them under the cap right now, but I think if, if a player of that ilk is available, a lot of GMs will move mountains to go get them. I, I think when a player like him hits the free agent market, the chances of him winning a Stanley cup, are very slim. I don't see David Posternock unless he stays with Boston and they build the team around him. I don't think he goes to a situation that he can win a Stanley cup. Think about like the biggest UFAs in the last 10, 15 years, the Kovalchuk's Tavares, Aginla, none of those guys. Exactly. I just think when you look at the last few Stanley cup winners, they already had their guys in place. They are not trying to go out and find their superstar to make their team, you know, click to that next level. They are finding supplementary players to come in and complement their top guys. A team like Tampa Bay failed year after year after year. Finally, they got a good draw. They got a gourd. They got a Coleman. Everybody knows they already had their guys. They had Kucherov. They had Point. They had Stamkos. They had Kalorn. They had Hedman. They had Sergachev. They had McDonough. They had their guys. They drafted Tampa Bay drafted five or six of those guys. Traded Sergachev when he was a for Sergachev right before anybody knew about him. They had their guys. When you look at last year, Colorado. They had their guys in place. They didn't have to go out. They had Landeskog. They had McKinnon. They had Rantanen. They had McCarr. They go out and they they filled the roster around those guys. Maybe a St. Louis went and got a Ryan O'Reilly. They still had their cold core guys and Peter Angelo. Who else did they have? They had Tarasenko. They had their core guys. It's it's hard for a team to a fit a guy under their cap if they're a contender. And B, to make it work, it'll be interesting if Calgary would be 
the one that bucks the trend, but they just almost did a two for two swap where you're getting two superstars and you're shipping two superstars out. So that's an interesting situation that doesn't usually happen very often. But if I were a betting man, I would say a player who leaves a team in his prime and goes to another team very rarely wins a Stanley cup in his prime. Maybe Pasta would be able to go and, and hitch on to a new, another team once that contract's up and he's 34, 35, 36, signs a couple-year deal, $1 million. Maybe then he'll win a Stanley Cup. I just don't see it happening because the situation that you just said, okay, he, he'll go and he'll sign and in, in five years, six years, then he'll win that cup. He's going to be 34 years old at that point. Thirty, you know, he, He'll be older. Maybe that team won't want him around anymore. Maybe he won't be the same player that he was. He'll be a guy making $10 million in his seventh year of his deal, his sixth year of his deal, maybe he's just wasting money and they get rid of him. They buy him out. They trade him. Who knows? But I don't think he goes to a situation that's better than Boston where he's going to step in. And it's going to be a competitive team. I think you have to stay in Boston. If you want to win a cup, they have Charlie McAvoy. They have a decent defense. They have ham use Hampus Lindholm. You got Carlo, you got Grizzlick. Marshawn will get better. You have Taylor Hall there. There are pieces to build around. There, there is, you know, room for improvement. But where do I don't see where he just fits in on a team that's better than the situation he's in now. And I know Boston isn't a good situation, but if a team has that much in cap space, they're a bad team. It's just the reality of the situation. So I don't know, Tim. I I really don't know. Part of me is like, yeah, go get away from Boston. But another part of me is just the grass is never greener on the other side, ever. It's always worse. It's a good point. I'm, I'm looking now at the last, you know, stretch of Stanley Cup winners. It's hard to find like like exceptions. Like Ryan O'Reilly and the Blues would be a good example. Hosa in Chicago, maybe Gabrick in L.A. But like, there's a few and far between. They weren't their superstars though. They yeah. they weren't their guys. Chicago, we all know Sharp, Taves, Kane, Keith, Seabrook. Those were the core. L.A. had Kopitar, Brown, Doughty. Those were the core. Quick, they were supplementary guys coming in to help. You know what I mean? They weren't, they weren't, and Haas was huge. Don't get me wrong. But when it came down to like, who's our guy? It was Kane and Taves. Then like, same in LA. It wasn't Gabrick. But yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thing because he, it's a huge decision for him. It's a, it's a massive decision. This is his, the rest of his life, for the rest of his hockey life. He better make a good decision here. So let's bring it back to Boston then, because if you're thinking about through his lens, as he's looking at this roster and the projections, I'm sure he's looking at the same articles and resources we are. Like, look, I kind of break it down into three different groups. The forwards, they only have a handful of forwards on multi-year contracts. Marshawn, Taylor Hall, Coyle, and DeBrusque. And those are all, you know, they're in their top six. Coyle's maybe a third-line center, but those are all good players. And so it's good we have those guys locked up for at least two more years. On the defense, you have pretty much all of them locked up on multi-year deals. McAvoy, Lindholm, and Carlo leading the charge there. And the goalie, you've got all marked for four more years, and then Swayman coming off his ELC this year. So it's possible that like Bergeron and Krejci don't come back, and then Swayman maybe he doesn't want to sign, and then all of a sudden you've got a McAvoy and Lindholm who are pretty good. You've got Hall, Coyle, DeBrusque who are pretty good. Marshawn, thirty-four years old, like. Is he going to even want to play for a team that's not contending? If this team trends down in the next two years, he could request a trade. And so all of a sudden, Pasternak could see, you know, in five years from now, he's like expected to do everything because it's not really a strong team around him. There's just so many question marks on that roster. And if he wants to play for a cup, there's a very real chance that the Bruins are going to be rebuilding in the next 
start the rebuild and within two years. And so potentially, yeah, potentially. But I think if, if you're trying to build a team and you have a star winger who can put the puck in the net, David Pasternak, you have in this, it all depends on how Marshawn comes back from his injury. If he's the same guy, you got another star winger on the left side who can put the puck in net, who can dish, who's, who's an elite level player. And he's 34. Yeah. But, you know, players are good for a long time now. You have Taylor Hall, a good second line left winger, and you got Charlie Coyle, who's a good second line right winger. It's can you find a centerman to play with these guys? Because you you have the wing set and you have those guys racked up, locked up, excuse me, for a long time. And then you look at the back end, you win Stanley Cups down the middle on the back end. Charlie McAvoy is an elite level of defenseman. I would say he's top five in the NHL. He's a very, very good defenseman. Maybe he doesn't get the recognition he's deserved. He's very good. You got Hampus Lindholm. He's on a good contract for the next, what, seven, six years, seven years, 6.5. I like Hampus Lindholm. Brandon Carlo, I dump on him quite a bit. He's on a very good contract. He's a good big defenseman. You have him as your second pairing with Matt Grizzlick. I don't, I actually like the Bruins defense. I really do. So if you're posture knock and you're looking at this team, it's like, okay, I don't mind where we're headed in the next four or five years. We are going to have a ton of money to spend. I'm having a conversation with Don Sweeney. Where do you see this team going? We're getting Felino, Pavel Zaka, Craig Smith, Nozick, Wagner, Frederick, Krejci, Bergeron. All of that money is coming off the books next year. We will have 30 to $40 million to spend after this season. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So how are we going to spend that money? I think his agent's talking to Don Sweeney. He's saying, can we get an elite center to play with us on that first line? How are we going to figure this out? Because Bergeron will retire. There's, there's no way this guy can keep playing. He's going to be 38, 39 years old. Once he's gone, who will be Pasternak's centerman? I think that's what he's asking. Can they figure that out? Can they get a trade? They have their first round pick this year. I, I don't mind Boston's situation. I, I really don't. I think they have a good setup. They don't, they're not tied into a lot of bad contracts. I don't see one bad contract on this team that they're locked into. Maybe a Charlie Coyle at 5.25. But at the end of the day, the salary cap's going up. It's not a bad deal. His second line, right winger, you know, he put up 25 goals a season, physical guy. I don't mind that deal. So I think he stays. I think he should stay. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, and one of the things that's, that's interesting, you mentioned these injuries, Marshawn's going to be out to start the season. McAvoy, who was like there, you know, they rely on him a lot is out until sometime in December. Grizzly out until November. Riley's going to miss at least the first month. So I think it might be a good test for Pasternak to see how this team, how this group plays without some of its best players. If they're, you know, a little glimpse into the future of some of these guys are going to be gone how can this group rebound and, and, and where do they fit within their division? How do they play against some of the, the big teams and the, they're going to be matched up against on a nightly basis. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. What do you think, you know, your, your gut feeling does Pasternak stay in Boston? Yes or no? Yeah, I think he does. I, I think he, he will look at the other options. I think he might kick the tires on free agency. Here's the tricky thing. I don't think you'll have the opportunity to kick the tires on free agency because if you're Don Sweeney, do you risk that? You can't, you cannot risk even getting past the trade deadline this season for, to get pasta to walk for nothing. Right. 
Because you risk like Anaheim throwing him like 12 million per at eight years. Yeah. And how, how can you say no to that? Regardless of so, cups, you know, it, it, Don Sweeney's in a tricky situation because if Pasta's true to his word and he's saying, you know, I'm going to see how the season goes, the season's going to go terrible. It, like, well, not terrible in the sense that they'll miss the playoffs, but they won't be a contender. The writing's on the wall. They have too many like aged guys on the last year of the contract and they will be better after this season. This is not their season to win the cup. Next year, the year after that, that's when they'll have a chance to win the cup if they can use their cap space correctly, sign some guys, and then they make a push. But this year, it's it's not a good gauge on how this team will be in the future because there's just so many unknowns. We have so many guys. Like you said, we have four forwards signed after this season. So I don't know. It, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. It boils down to if Pasta thinks the grass is greener on the other side. And it's never greener. It's never, ever greener. So... Gut, I think he stays. I hope he stays, but we won't know. Another original six team, Montreal Canadiens. Nick Suzuki, their captain. Do you like that pick? Uh, I do. It symbolizes a lot of things. He's the youngest captain in the team's history. So it's kind of like new blood, new generation, new direction. I get all that. Part of me, you know, the soft side of me thinks, man, Brendan Gallagher, I feel for that guy. He's been there forever. He's put his body on the line. What is he, what he must think? And he was one, him and uh, Edmondson are the two A's to start the year. I, I'm sure he had a nice private conversation. I'm sure they, they, they gave him the courtesy of that of telling him before they announced anything, but I, I have, I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's, I think it's fine. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they had to give it to somebody. I actually, well, I predicted a few episodes ago, they weren't. They were just going to, you know, like I said, kick the can until next year and give it to Kirby Doc. I think Kirby's the logical pick, but you give it to Nick Suzuki. You're paying this guy. He's your star player. You put all your eggs in the Nick Suzuki basket when you re-sign with that big deal, $7.875 million. You traded for him the patch ready trade. You gave up your old captain. You got your new captain. So good. Now we go. Now we move on. It's the Nick Suzuki era, 23 years old. Away we go with the Montreal Canadiens. Should have been a happy day for the Canadiens. Overshadowed by their jersey. And this is something I predicted, Tim, two years ago. Do you remember? We could pull up the clip. COVID was just kind of getting figured out. The NHL was starting up again. Revenues were down. We can't have fans. How will we generate money? How can we, you know, get some money coming back to the owner's pockets? The owners need it. They got kids to feed. They just, they, they need that money. Oh, let's put some ads on, on the jerseys. Let's put an ad on a helmet. That's how it started. We'll sponsor the helmet. And it started with that. What did I say, Tim? What did I say when, when they just kind of opened up that little Pandora's box, just, just to crack. You said it was just the beginning and this is where it starts and it's going to happen incrementally where, you know, it's, it's a Jersey logo now, and then it's a helmet logo and then it's the pants and then it's the skates and then it's everything else. And all of a sudden, 10 years from now, it's like the European leagues. And now, and now look where we're at an original six team, a team that does not need the money. So let's just get that straight. They are one of the richest teams in the NHL every season. When I was playing, we would go through the HRR, the hockey-related revenue. You knew it was a good year or a bad year based on how the Canadians te- Canadian teams did. Was there a lot of gate? Was there a lot of you know booze and this and that sold? 
Nobody cared. Everybody expected Florida to lose money. Everyone expected the Coyotes were going to lose a boatload. The Hurricanes were losing money, hemorrhaging money. That was all buttressed up by the Canadians, by the Leafs, by the Canucks, all those teams, because they make so much money hand over fist. So the idea that the Molson family is hurting for money and that we need to, we need to do this. We need to put a patch on our shoulder. And they just, it's funny how they didn't announce it. They didn't say, oh, you know, we're, we're now proudly sponsored by the Royal Bank of Canada. They just tried to hide it in, sneak it in, in the Nick Suzuki announcement of being a captain where he comes out and all of a sudden there's this big RBC patch on the other shoulder. Everybody noticed. It's a disgusting looking patch on a beautiful jersey that is one of the most historic jerseys in all of sports. Not just hockey, in all of sports. Nobody really cares about the basketball jerseys. I think the Celtics have the most iconic basketball jersey. Maybe the Lakers. Baseball, it's the Yankees and the Dodgers. In hockey, it's the Bruins. It's the Canadians. The Oilers got a clean jersey. The Blackhawks. And you ruin it by putting an RBC patch, a big one that dwarfs the little C that Nick Suzuki had on his shoulder. When you look at it, you go Canadians crest, beautiful, beautiful. The little C very understated. I like that patch has always got to be bigger than the A and the C you just, you know, you're playing for the team. And then this stupid RBC crest on the other shoulder, that's bigger than the C stands out ugly, ugly, ugly. And it's, this is you guys started with the helmet. Now we're moving on to the jersey. Just one, just one ad. That's all we're going to do. This is not the end. There'll be an ad on the pants soon. There'll be an ad on the gloves. There'll be an ad on the socks. On the, it'll be small though. It'll be small, but it'll be there. You just, you mark my words. In five, 10 years, every piece of equipment will have ads on it. I don't think we'll ever get to the, you know, the European look where it's just ads everywhere and you look like a billboard, but there will be ads. It started with just a helmet. Now we have the helmet and the jersey. Next, it'll be the helmet, the jersey, and the pants. But on the back of the pants or the front, just a small one. Then it'll be the gloves. Then it'll be the socks. Then it'll be the skates. It's going to happen. So be prepared. I don't think it's, listen, I don't think it's a terrible thing. You know, people got to make money. People got to eat. But it's just, just, it's going to happen. And this is an ugly ad. I wish I would have put it in a different spot. But if you're the, uh, if you're RBC, you want to be front and center. And they are front and center. So I don't know. What do you think of this tip? Because it upsets me. I had to look it up. RBC for the American listeners is Royal Bank of Canada. Yep. Um, And so I I don't know. I don't really hate it. Part of me like wants to have like an angle or a take on this. I don't really care that much. Um, One of the things I saw on Twitter when this was kind of going on yesterday was a friend of the show, Eric Engels was tweeting about some opinions of his and I want to kind of read those because I think it's an interesting and I probably agree with what he has to say, but I, I wonder if you do. He said, just my opinion, but ads on jerseys is a revenue stream the NHL can't and shouldn't turn away from. I can appreciate that some fans feel like the flag is being desecrated, but it's 2022 and this is where the business is going. You want the cap to go up and teams to be able to keep and sign players under it? This is part of it happening sooner. Also know it's a slippery slope and no one wants to see jerseys dominated by ads like they are in Europe. I don't think it's going that way, but it's understandable people would be concerned it is. Do you agree with his take on that? Well, he's hedging his bet. He's like, oh, this is, we have to do it. We have to do it. But I don't, I don't want it to go that way. 
I think you either like it or you don't. I don't like it. I don't think you you need that money. Basically, I know it's a lot of money, but I, myself, I don't like it. I think it takes away from the team. I think it takes away from just the look of the jersey. Aesthetically, I would like to see a clean jersey with no ads on it. I, I see it in basketball. I think it's a distraction. I don't like it on the helmet. It's not as noticeable just because it kind of just blends in with the helmet a little bit on the Jersey. It's there. I, I don't like it. I think it's a bad look. I think it's ugly. I think it takes away from everything. I, yeah. You lose out on a couple hundred thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. So I, I love what the Edmonton Oilers said. They said, we're not doing it. No. And they're probably getting tons of teams or companies knocking at their door. Please let us put an ad on your Jersey. You have Connor McDavid, the most photographed player in the NHL. We want to put our logo right on your jersey. And they say, you know what? No, I'll never do it. I love that. I love that. Then you got the Arizona Coyotes who look like a total schmelt pigeon. They get an ad, ad from the, the Gila resorts who kicked them out of the arena and said, you don't pay your bills. You're not going to play here. And they're just like, oh, please put an ad on our jersey. Please, please, please look like just total simps. So it is what it is. It's, it's the sign of the times. People do anything for money. We get people trying to add on this do ads on this company on this podcast. And we say, no, because we don't agree with their ads. We had ads earlier this year. We, I listened to one podcast. I'm like, what are we listening to here? And I had to call nation network and say, not never again. I don't like those ads. They're, they don't jive with us. That's why Tim, and we only advertise with the best DoorDash is a fantastic company. And that's why we do business with them because DoorDash is the best. They're a good family, wholesome company. They get you food when you want it, when you want it, how you want it, Tim. And they give us a primo deal and all our listeners get that deal too. It's 25% off and free delivery when you use our promo code GLOVESDD if you're in Canada, GLOVESDD US if you're in the US of A, because DoorDash is a good company. They're not like all those other yucky food delivery companies. Their food comes, they're moldy, it's cold. The food's half eaten because the delivery drivers don't make enough money. DoorDash pays their employees well. And the food gets there intact and it's the best quality food. So check them out. Use DoorDash, use our promo code, get yourself a deal, get yourself some food. It's a good thing, everybody. All right, moving on some quick hits and we'll get out of here. Yeah. Uh, just recapping some news around the league. Evan Rodriguez signed with the Avalanche one year, $2 million um, had a pretty good, not wouldn't say breakout season, 43 points, I believe last year with Pittsburgh, but he was instrumental, especially beginning of a season when some of their star players were out. So it'd be good to see if he can click with that new roster. There's talk that he's going to get a chance starting in that second line center role that Kadri left. So we'll see how that plays out. A sneaky, good contract, not a superstar. The guy, you can lock him in. Like you said last year, he had 43 points for Pittsburgh. You put him on that second line, third line. This is what contending teams do. They go and get a guy like this who's still in his prime. He's going to go in and make a difference. And this is a good signing. They don't need to go and sign a posture. I like the signing by the Colorado Avalanche. This is very good. He's proven he can play with elite players. He's a good player couple of uh, PTOs signing around the league. Cody Eakin, Danny DeKaiser, and Kyle DeHaan all signed with different Calvin. teams. Calvin, we'll see. I call him Cal. We'll, we'll see how those guys like shake out, if, whether they make their respective teams. I also got to say, did you see this video that's been floating around? Oh, oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, tough to watch. I saw the headline, and I have not watched it. I don't plan on watching it. Can you describe it to the listeners? Oh, I slowed it down frame by frame. So 
this coach is trying, I don't know where the league is. I didn't really delve into it too much, but this coach is trying to get into a penalty box and he grabs onto the top of the glass and he slips and he falls down. But is, and this is why, okay. I love being married. I love being married. You have to be very careful when you pick your wedding ring. I don't think anybody has documented this. His wedding ring gets caught on the metal stanchion between the glass. So when he falls, the wedding ring catches the corner and he's falling. The finger's stuck and you just see the finger pop off and fall into the penalty box. And he falls and all of a sudden he goes, my finger fell off. Uh-oh. And you can hear him. You can hear my, my finger. And he's very plain as day. He's not in freaking shock, out. Maybe? He's not screaming. Yeah, he's in total shock. He's like, the same thing when I, I got into a fight in the AHL and my thumb fell off in the fight. And I looked at my thumb and I go, my thumb fell off. Because you're you're in complete shock, your adrenaline's going. There's no pain because it happens so fast. And he just goes, my my finger fell off, and it's because of his wedding ring. My dad almost lost his finger the same way where he was at work, and his hand got crunched, and his wedding wedding ring got crunched as well. So he had to quickly go and get some kind of plier cutters to cut his ring off. So now he doesn't wear wear a ring when he works because it's just dangerous. So yeah, it's go look it up. It, it's a wild video. You can literally see the finger with the ring on it floating through the air into the, I, I, I slowed it down frame by frame. So you could see the finger ring on it into the penalty box. Oof, don't hang on the glass, kids. It's dangerous, dangerous stuff. Dangerous. Stuff. Yeah, I will not be watching that. Last thing here, uh, Jake DeBrus, this, this just tweeted out a few minutes ago, I spoke with the media today, and he was asked about whether him rescinding his trade request from the team was related to Bruce Cassidy being let go. And if you remember, the timing was like a week or two after all this happened and he wouldn't confirm or deny it, which means it's true. Yeah, of course. He hated, uh, he hated Cassidy. Cassidy hated him. Who cares? Let's just say it. Just say I didn't like that coach. He didn't like me. So I don't want to leave Boston anymore. Bingo, bingo, bungo. All right. That was brought to you by points, but everybody. Another good company that we we enjoy. I enjoy my point myself some points, but I'm excited for the season to start so we can be transparent with our bets. And we're uh, we're doing this. So get your uh, get your money ready, Tim. We're putting thousand dollars in an account. We're going to see who has the most money by the end of the season. Uh, speaking of fantasy football, did you do it this year? Oh, I got absolutely just worked week one. Ugh. Just worked. I took Cooper Cup with my first overall pick. Nailed it Thursday night. Everybody else just stunk. Ezekiel Elliott, CD Lamb, Trey Trey Lance, my quarterback. Everybody stunk. I got to make some adjustments. It's a work in progress, but I will be back. I will get better. I think I'm going to get uh, Carson Wentz off the waiver wire. This is a hockey podcast. Anyways. All right, everybody. We will talk to you later this week. Hope everybody had a good weekend, and we'll see you later. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.